Bonjour, Tansay. Welcome to Mino Gundagan, the Good Voice podcast, a show exploring reconciliation from an Indigenous perspective. I'm your host, Tim Fontaine. On this episode, we speak with the Indigenous world's funniest comedians. We pose the question, has reconciliation happened in the stand-up comedy industry? Has it happened within the lives of these comedians? Stick around to find out. Our first guest, Howie Miller, has been hailed as one of the funniest Native American comedians and actors on television today. He's from the Cree Nation and was born and raised in Edmonton, Alberta. Howie has performed all over North America, including New York, Los Angeles, and the prestigious Montreal Just for Laughs Comedy Festival. He's also toured the United Kingdom and Europe. Howie has been featured in his own half-hour special, Comedy Now Presents Howie Miller, and in the Indian Comedy Slam, No Reservations Needed, which aired on Showtime in 2010. Bonjour, Tanse. Welcome to Mino Gundagan, the Good Voice podcast. I'm your host, Alyssa Blackwolf-Kixon, and I have with me a very special guest, Howie Miller. Howie, how are you? I'm great, and I'm not that special, (laughs) but I am a guest. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Um, you know, like where you're from, where where your roots lie. I was, uh, I'm I'm from the Paul Band First Nation, First Cree, uh, it's Cree Nation, uh, just west of Edmonton. And I was adopted off the reserve, uh, reservation when I was about six months, and I've been with the same family growing up. So a lot of people ask me, well, who's that part of the, the 60s scoop? It, it kind of happened to me, but uh, whereas, unfortunately, uh, even members of my own uh, blood family were taken into different homes, and there was abuse, physical and mental, I didn't experience any of that. I was raised in a very suburbanite way, and it wasn't until you know, more recently in my life that I realized the actual damage that did happen to me was the total loss of my culture. That set myself up for, you know, the realization of all the problems that I have psychologically in my life stem from that. So whereas, you know, I was raised relatively safe in a loving family, it still robbed me of my identity. Well, exactly. And I know a lot of scientists are discovering now that trauma, whether we experience it firsthand, it is it's a generational thing that can be passed down through genetics. And I feel like uh, the Indigenous population, uh, whether they've experienced residential schools or the 60s scoop, foster care firsthand go through that that generational trauma. That being said, you're a successful entertainer. I have kept myself uh, in the business, yes. So (laughs) I guess that's, that's one way of putting success. That is a great success. You've been doing this for quite a long time. How many years now? Uh, we're looking at about 21 years of doing stand-up comedy. That is a long time. So would you consider yourself a veteran? Uh, <laughs> that, that, again, that seems like a word for somebody who has, you know, stood up for their country and, and saved lives and whatnot. <laughs> I'm just telling fart jokes. So uh, I have, I've, I'm definitely seasoned. Uh, I'm, a, you know, maybe a road warrior because I do a lot of traveling. Yeah, there's older people than me still out there that I look up to. And currently, you're a part of, I guess, would it be called a sketch troupe? Uh, it's a sketch TV show. See, we are a troupe. I mean, the, the core group of uh, Caution May Contain Nets is a, is a sketch troupe called uh, These Men Are Blacklisted. That consists of uh, three white guys and a native guy. <laughs> um, and the native being Sheldon Elter. I won't mention the white guys because they all get credit anyway. So uh, it's my good buddy Sheldon Elter. They needed extra an, another an indigenous comedian to make the, the sales pitch to APTN. So uh, I was hired. So 
we finished season five last year, last year, so it'll be airing sometime soon, I think. I don't know, maybe even next year. For young people living in rural communities who might want to do something similar, and they, they see themselves on TV... Yeah, that's, that was the, the actual whole point and the whole thing that was, uh, you know, my fire. The burning thing, desire that I had was to be on television and do something that the masses could see. Now, uh, APTN is a national broadcaster, but, you know, a lot of non-native, non-indigenous people don't watch it because they feel guilty, I guess. I don't know. But uh, it's it's the fact that it's on the in the communities, in the indigenous communities across this country. And that's the biggest compliment I can get when a young person approaches me and said, hey, I really enjoyed the show. And what I'm trying to do on a maybe a subconscious level, and, and maybe we're doing it so well on, on the show, is the fact that we're not just, we do do the, the long hair and buckskin stereotypical mm-hmm. natives. But we also, I'm a space captain, I am a pirate, yes. I'm, you know, a police chief, I'm all these different things that, you know, you don't normally see an indigenous person as, and the indigenous people that you do see on television, they either have to have long hair or they have to have a feather in their hair, and their name is, you know, you know, <laughs> you know Will Blackstone or something like this, but I'd like to show that we can be anything, yes. we can portray anything, because we're still here, you know, country's been trying to get rid of us for hundreds of years, but we're still here, we're not going anywhere, and we're just getting stronger. And I, I, I really hope that that catches on, that attitude of, you know, just because he's Native doesn't mean he has to be in, you know, riding a horse all the time. That is so true. Which brings me to uh, my question of, how do you think Indigenous representation has changed within the entertainment industry as, you know, as somebody who's been doing it for 20 years, you would definitely have... Um, you know, sort of a, a good hold on, uh, you know, is is there more? Is there less? Um, um, what are what are your observations? I, I see more, and, and and a strength and an attitude of stand, more standing up for yourself. If I had to tell you know, uh, native youth anything, it would be to stand up, stand up, make make every make it awkward if you have to, but stand up for yourself, and be in the limelight because that's where we belong. Um, this great country of ours, you know, I've always said, you know, I'm really proud of Canada and I love being Canadian. I just wish Canada was proud of me. So, but the representation I see in the world, in the entertainment world, it's becoming, because of social media and people's, you know, minds changing just to old ideas, I, I appreciate the fact that, you know, movies like Twilight did this thing where it's like, well, yeah, okay, we screwed up with Taylor Lautner, so we're going to make the rest of the Wolfpack 100% indigenous. Yeah, I have to have the papers to prove it, which I appreciate it. But then there's another, there's a, there's a giant step back. It goes back and forth because you know, Lone Ranger comes out in Tonto. It's Johnny Depp. Well, it's like, well, come on, guys, <laughs> how many indigenous actors across North America are there? And you couldn't find one. But you know, and then it comes back again to the remake of Magnificent Seven, the, the main uh, native character there. He was actually native, and so it's it's becoming this up and down ride, but in our favor. There's more. There's definitely more young or indigenous uh, stamp comedians coming out now. Uh, when I started, I was the only one in Edmonton. I was there was probably two or three in Western Canada, and there's probably five or six in the entire in the entire country when I started out 20 years ago. Now it's like I'm so happy to see, and it's and I don't consider a competition anyway because they're they're different comedians. They have different stories, and, and but we all have the same relatable. Some of us have the same relatable, uh, relatable material because we're all going through the same fight in the country. But I am so happy and proud every time I see a young indigenous comedian 
coming up the ranks. I'm just like, well, hey, yo, just go, go past me. Here, I'm holding the door open. Just go. go. <laughs> Everyone go. That's such a good attitude to have, especially in this industry where it can be so cutthroat and so disheartening for a segment of the population like us Indigenous folks. There's not a whole lot of people holding doors open for us except for ourselves, making sure that one another gets in and, you know, supporting each other when we can. And I think that's something really unique within a culture, especially in the entertainment industry, uh, where it can be so cutthroat and sometimes insidious. Um, Definitely in the, in the, in the stand up world. When I started out, it was just a cutthroat negative entity. I was in a group of, you know, uh, had this negative ball of people that I eventually realized, well, wow, this is, so, this is like actually hurting my insides, being so negative and, and cutthroat and trying to be on top. And I just one day, I abruptly just said, you know, I'm not going to be friends with them anymore. I'm not going to be part of uh, the, the institution that they belong to. And I just sort of stepped out and said, okay, I'm going to do this on my own. And that, that day changed my life forever. Uh, things just started coming up roses for me and my family and, and people around me. It was just yeah. a more positive outlook of, of how to do things. And, you know, my, I started getting more work. I, I got the, the first season of Caution May Contain Nuts. My son Tyson got a part in Twilight. Just, you know, I always, I always take steps up. Some steps are really long, but I, always, I never want to step back. I'm always taking, I'm always trying to go up. As an Indigenous comedian, what does reconciliation mean to you? It means more than saying you're sorry, that's for sure. Education is the most important thing that we we can pass down to our youth. Now is a time when everyone has a voice. Social media has lent everyone to have a voice. And if it's used constructively, it, it can be a powerful voice. There's people out there that didn't know about the residential schools. When I was growing up, when I was in in school, I didn't know about them because the school I went to in social studies, some people have a history. I was learning about Tsar Nicholas and the Russian Revolution and how his son was a hemophiliac. I still know that to this day. <laughs> uh, but how come I didn't learn about indigenous people being systematically killed over, uh, you know, the, the, the short amount of time? It was a, a cultural genocide, an yes. actual genocide. I didn't know any of this. Um, until until my son uh, Todd, who's uh, part of the Folklords, by the way, I'm plugging my son, got his own uh, comedy troupe and uh, his own web series. But when he was in university, and I'm so proud of him, but I, you know, I asked him, why was I learning that in my school? And he said, it's because those were your parents, those, that's who your parents were scared of in the Cold War. So it's the government way of teaching you about your enemies. Know more about your enemies. Let's learn about our actual history in this country. Instead of just saying, oh, we, we fur traded and we were happy together and it was all, you know, roses. It was, it was horrible. We're, we are going to move up these steps. Some yes. steps are going to be longer. Some steps are going to be shorter. But we're not moving back as, as a people. We're moving forward. We're moving up. And we're gaining strength. And it may not happen in my lifetime, but the equality of, of all people, men and women, and in and, and different orientations is just is, is on the rise. And yes. it's, a, it's a glorious time to see. Um, for any young uh, Indigenous folks out there who are wanting to follow in your footsteps, you know, of being a stand-up comedian, what advice would you give to them? Dream as big as you can 
and just do it. Like, go after it. Like, like I said, social media, there's YouTube. You can make your own movies with your own phone. The only person holding you back is yourself. And this all sounds like cliches, but they're there for a reason. And it's so good to see, though, that we're getting our legs and we're becoming more confident as people. I mean, yes. I know there's still a lot of um, confused and scared youth out there in the Indigenous communities. But I, 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 I like to think that we're getting stronger with knowledge. Just, just get out there and network. Howie, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure having you on our podcast. Uh, the and- honor is all mine. We just spoke with Howie Miller. Be sure to check out his show, Caution May Contain Nuts, on APTN. Up next, our second guest is Amber Sikoan Daniels, a comic, writer, director, and television producer originally from Winnipeg with family roots in Garden Hill, First Nation, Manitoba. Amber currently resides in Toronto, Ontario, and doing video sketch and stand-up comedy. She is the creator and star behind two popular web series, Hanging Tough and Pantsuits. Amber has been featured on the Winnipeg Comedy Showcase and served as producer. Bonjour, Tanse. Welcome to Mino Gundagan, the Good Voice Podcast. I am Alyssa Blackwolf Kixon, and I have here on the phone Amber Daniels. Hi. My name is Amber Seguin Daniels. Uh, my spirit name is Wabishke Benny Sik, and uh, I was raised in Winnipeg. And my family comes from Garden Hill First Nation. And I am a comedian, screenwriter. Comedy. Comedy. How long have you been doing it for? I've been doing comedy on and off for about eight years now. Um, And I started in Vancouver, uh, and then I came to Winnipeg for a year or two, and now I am in Toronto. So I've done comedy in those cities across Canada. And how do you find that being uh, an Indigenous woman in all these different comedy scenes, is there any sort of like similar theme with all of them? Um, I would say each city is really, really different. Um, and it's been a few years since I've been doing comedy in Vancouver. So and when I'm talking about Vancouver, it's very retroactive. And I'm sure their community has changed a lot. But I found that when I came to Winnipeg and I was doing stand-up in Winnipeg, it was around 2014-15. And um, I was very excited because there were a lot of Indigenous comedians like mm. they're in Winnipeg. So I found Winnipeg was the best place so far for me, um, for being an Indigenous comedian. How about your experience as as an Indigenous woman specifically in the comedy world? It's difficult. I mean, it's difficult being anyone in the comedy world. Um, <laughs> Heck I think yes. It's, yeah, um, it's hard. I, I would say that you're kind of working with a few factors, so you're trying to find your voice as a comedian but you're also in sometimes places that don't necessarily foster that it's experience like I'm, I'm i'm being positive but the experience is pretty difficult i mean being in an indigenous person anywhere in the world is very difficult because you're having to um you're having to try and navigate so many different worlds that other um, sort of like Eurocentric type people don't have to think about? Yeah. And you're, I mean, like, and depending on what kind of comic you are, um, sometimes you're talking about things that don't quite resonate with mainstream audiences. Um, and so 
it's really difficult to start out, but once you kind of figure it out, um, I think it's and it's amazing being an Indigenous comedian. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think that there's there's some hurdles that you definitely have to get through when you're starting. Since the the TRC released the 94 calls to action, do you feel like you felt any changes, you know, within this industry, like within the comedy industry? I, at the risk of sounding pessimistic right now, I haven't. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's and it, a lot. That's largely because it's these are unregulated split spaces. They're bars, you know. Yeah. Um, so I think that a lot of really great people are trying to get that structure in there so we can, you know, have protocols and have, you know, all these things that I see in my filmmaking world. Like I see a lot of conversations happening and a lot of, you know, actions being taken but i think comedy is going to be one of the last industries to get there um because you know we're relying on people's good faith (laughs) to do the right thing where we're you know and um it's also a space where people are drinking a lot like you know it's a it's kind of like people go to comedy shows to unwind and let loose and so for me it's always hard like i'm not dealing with the workplace i'm dealing with people who are not always on their best behavior who don't always treat it as a workplace so I haven't I haven't seen it. I've heard, you know, some conversations are starting to happen, but those are also as a comedian exhausting conversations to happen because it's it, reconciliation is a two-way thing. It's not it's not a one-way. What sort of changes do you think need to be made? I think that we have to look outside the mainstream for comedy. Like comedy we traditionally think of it as, you know, the the club, the comedy club and sort mm-hmm. of like the three Canadian festivals or whatever we get. And I think that um, there's a lot of appetite for great different comedy. I think there's a huge market for Indigenous comedy. And I think that we sort of just have to, like, carve out our own spaces and, and get our own, you know, get our own thing going because I don't, I don't really think that the industry understands how to do the right thing. And I think there's a lot of factors there yeah you know not to sound pessimistic but I mean it does like when we when we say these things it does seem like it's negative but you still need to identify to identify these problems before you can come up with solutions right there are not a ton of opportunities for a Canadian comedian in Canada to make a living like it's very very limited so um there's a competition there and there's a sense of people not wanting to take a risk with new voices. And I think that like, or you, I want to say new voices, but undeveloped voices or mm-hmm. whatever you want to say, like someone who hasn't been on the platform before. Yeah. So I think that um, there has to be more of us. <laughs> yeah. For most mainstream comedians, they, you know, they can make jokes about mainstream things Whereas indigenous comedians have, you know, like part of comedy is you're you're supposed to be saying things that are true to life and then twisting them. And that kind of can limit you sometimes when you're trying to break into the mainstream as a comedian. Like, what can you talk about and what can you not talk about? And for a lot of these things, they're a reality that, you know, you want to you want to talk about. Sometimes that's going to make it harder. Yeah. Depending on what kind of comic you are. But 
I mean, let's put it this way. Like I did really well doing boner and sex jokes for a while. (laughs) And then when I wanted to kind of talk about community-based issues or my own identity issues or when I wanted to talk about that stuff, people weren't really supportive. So like I, I could see the limitations of that, trying to be a comic, trying to fit in, trying to get the mainstream shows. What do you, how would you define reconciliation? <laughs> That's a huge term. Mm-hmm. Um, I would just define it like simply as uh, restoring of relations. And I think that's the best way I can simply put it. Um, and like, you know, an, an acknowledgement, you know, an acknowledgement of past, acknowledgement of trees, acknowledgement and, you know, giving up space. Do you feel like it is possible for reconciliation to happen within the comedy community? I hope so. I think that every generation that's coming, um, I, I feel meeting some young Indigenous comedians, like I, I feel passionate when I meet younger people who aren't as grizzled as I am. <laughs> so uh, maybe we're in good hands coming up. I don't think anytime soon. <laughs> There's also like a disconnect because it's like the comedian, but then there's the audience. And then, yeah. and you can answer this question for me, is that um, when you do shows in Winnipeg, and I know maybe your shows are a little bit different, but um, when I was there, like there isn't a huge Indigenous audience coming to the shows. Oh, yeah. No, when I first came back, it was, um, I was playing to mostly uh, white audiences, unless I was doing, you know, like a corporate that was, you know, specifically for indigenous people. Yeah. And um, those shows are so different, like doing a community are. show. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, so what to speak to what you're saying about, you know, it's being, it's limited that I, I don't think you have to be a road comic to be a comic. Mm-hmm. I think that, that there's so many places to be a comic. And some, some people say to me like, Oh, you haven't done uh I used to do a lot of like yuck yucks and yeah. you, know, you know those kinds of shows, and I haven't been doing them as much. And people are kind of like, "Where are you?" And I'm like, "I'm just not. <laughs> I'm here. I'm doing comedy. I'm just not like I've I've just kind of expanded my path a bit." Yeah, because it wasn't working for me per se. <laughs> yeah, um, and I mean, you know, if we're talking about comedy, comedy derives from tragedy in the truest form of comedy. That that is where it came from. And um, a lot of, you know, what we're supposed to use comedy for is sort of healing from that tragedy. And Indigenous folks have experienced and still experience tragedy every day that we are alive. In, in those terms, we, you know, we could all be comedians because of everything that we've we've gone through as indigenous people so uh, (laughs) on that note being just like super sacred so what 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 advice would you give to a young indigenous person who maybe sees what you do and says ah I want to do that um, I would say, like, and I'm kind of a creep this way. So if I'm anywhere and I, like, especially if I meet, like, an Indigenous person that wants to do comedy, like, I'm a bit aggressive about it. Um, <laughs> so I'm just sort of like, let me know. I'll tell you everything you want. Like, I'll go with you. I'll hold your hand. Like, whatever. Um, is that, um, you know, just try it. Um, I would say try it. And then I would say, like, try to find, like, an ally or someone that you can ask questions to because um, something that when I first started out is I didn't really know 
what spaces were welcoming and what spaces weren't. Mm-hmm. Like I remember just, and this was like years ago, so maybe this doesn't apply now, but I remember not knowing um, which shows had the gross, creepy people in them, right. <laughs> which ones didn't. And like, and, and um, so just kind of like at, guess, having someone to ask those questions for like what spaces are going to be welcoming for you to try out. Um, I would tell a person starting out like just to, Go and try it. Tell a story um, and just get a bit comfortable. Don't worry about, you know, your format yet. Don't worry about doing your your structure and your tight five and your I, I would say that um, find a place where you can find your voice and, and that's going to set you up. Mm. Um, but, you know, just like find people, you know, just one person. But, um, yeah, that I would just say, like, anywhere you can be yourself. Um, so that brings us to the end of our conversation. Thank you so much, Amber, for... Oh, God. Yeah, so miigwech. Welcome back to Mino Gandegan, the Good Voice podcast, the show exploring reconciliation from an Indigenous perspective. We just spoke with comedian Amber Sikoan Daniels. Be sure to catch her in the Winnipeg show Moon Madness at the Goodwill Social Club on December 16th. Finally today, we are joined by our third guest, Chad Anderson a stand-up comedian from the Paw, Manitoba, who is based out of Winnipeg. Chad has been doing stand-up for 10 years and has traveled across Canada performing in the Winnipeg Comedy Festival, the Odd Block Comedy Festival, the first-ever Arctic Air Comedy Festival, and has worked with Mary Walsh. Chad is Cree and his comedy touches on many subjects, from racism to dealing with death to finding love as a sober man. Chad shares his experiences in a very humorous way. If you find yourself in a position to catch his act, don't sleep on it because Chad is sure to keep you laughing from the moment he steps on stage. Buju Tanse, welcome to Mino Gandagan, the Good Voice Podcast. I am Alyssa Blackwolf Kixon, and I am here with Chad Anderson. Chad, how's it going? I'm great. Thanks for having me today. My name is Chad Anderson. I'm Cree. I'm a stand-up comedian. I grew up in the Paw, Manitoba. My family comes from the Opaskwayak Cree Nation, um, but I am a second generation adopted indigenous person. So although I grew up literally across the river from my reserve, I didn't spend a lot of time there unless I was playing hockey. That's that's me in a nutshell. 2008 was when I first tried comedy, and the first couple years, I didn't take it seriously. Mm. And then I got sober, um, and then once I got once I got sober and, and went through rehab and stuff was when I was really like, okay, this is something that I love, and I'm gonna put effort into. So for eight years, I've been putting a lot of effort into yeah. stand-up comedy. And that kind of is, you know, the difference between, you know, an actual comedian and just, you know, somebody who likes to jerk off on stage, right? Exactly. I think um, the first couple of years, you're just like, oh, I don't care. Like, I I often give this analogy of myself. It's like in the in the beginning when I first started doing comedy, if I told three jokes at an open mic and two bombed and one got laughs, I would come off stage and be like, I killed <laughs> I was so funny tonight. Um, but now that I've been doing comedy for a number of years, if I go on stage and I tell three jokes and two absolutely crush and one doesn't do well, mm-hmm. I come off stage and go, oh, I suck tonight and yeah. I need to do better. 
not only are you a comedian, but you're an indigenous comedian. So how do you feel like that has impacted your comedy? I mean, I think, and I would like to just before I get into this is, is say, I don't, I don't blame, um, my family for what has Mm -hmm. happened. I think that they were, um, like the family who raised me, they were well intentioned and they didn't, uh, see it as they were just, um, because in, in a quick history is like my dad was adopted when he was a baby off the reserve and, um, by my grand grandparents. Mm -hmm. And then, um, his sister through adoption adopted me and my sister, uh, when we were, I was probably seven or eight at the time when we made the jump to living with them. I guess my aunt and uncle full time, mm-hmm. but I refer to them as my mom and dad because yeah. they raised me now. Um, but yeah, so we we when we made the jump when we were about when I was seven to living with them full time. So um, I don't blame them for anything. I don't think that they were like trying to like. I don't think they were. They had that colonial mindset of like, yeah. let's take these little Indians yeah. and make them white. I think they were just like, oh, this is these. We, these are our family, and we yeah. need to take care of them. But it, yeah, it has impacted me because I feel like in my comedy, especially, I talk a lot about my experience of like being like knowing, growing up and 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 being around a lot of white people and white mm-hmm. kids all of my life, but also knowing like I don't exactly fit in with these people, but then going to the reserve and and seeing other native people other indigenous people and mm-hmm. being like I don't feel like they don't accept me either um and so my comedy kind of in the beginning focused a lot on that and like being like I kind of stuck in this weird middle place where like I'm not white enough for white people and I'm not indigenous enough for indigenous people which is completely made up in my head and Mm -hmm. that's not to say I don't think that there are indigenous people out there who hear my story and go oh you didn't face the hardships we face so you're not like us um and that they're completely entitled to have that belief because yeah I didn't grow up on a reserve and I didn't I don't know what that's like, but I also know what it's like to be an indigenous person who was adopted by white people and who has struggled to find his identity. And it hasn't been it or it it took me almost almost 30 years to find ceremony, you know, and and once I got sober, I started going to sweats and then actually um, my good friends and fellow comedians, Paul Roblowskis and Florence Spence were like, hey, we go to this. Sundance every summer and you should come I think you should just come to a meeting at the very least and see what it's all about and from there it's been four years that I've been going and Sundancing but it wasn't until and and being around my Sundance family and finally feeling that acceptance Mm -hmm. from other indigenous people to be like no you're one of us you know it doesn't matter how you were raised you're still one of us and it's it's in your it's in your I don't want to say blood but it's in your spirit yeah you know and uh, so now my comedy, yeah, it, it, that is reflective in my comedy as well as like, you know, finding finding that um, level of comfort and acceptance, but then also still struggling internally and being like, you know, I, I have a spirit name. Mm-hmm. I do not know how to pronounce it. And also um, I go to a... a Anishinaabe Sundance and it's an you know it's an Ojibwe spirit name yeah. but I'm Cree but like they were the people who took me in yeah. you know so um so you're almost like adopted again into another 
um, into another nation. Yeah. Adoption it's, suits you well. It does, yeah. <laughs> it is nice. And I will say, like, I, I know, like, some people are against giving the translation of your spirit name, but um, it's all I have is my mm-hmm. is the translation because I don't know how to pronounce it <laughs> in the language, but I, it, it means, loosely it means strong standing, mm. um, which uh, when I first told someone that it meant, they're like, that makes a lot of sense because you do yeah. stand-up comedy and you talk about hard issues in your comedy, so yeah. that makes a lot of sense for you. And I was like, oh, yeah. You know, and that kind of gave me that more feeling of that, of being empowered and being like, this is who I am. Um, and I'm never going to forget it because backstory, I also spent a life hanging out with white kids and white, their white parents and just trying to fit in. So ignoring subtle racist comments or ignoring when they were talking shit about native people from my community and just kind of turning a blind eye because I'm like, well, I just want to fit in. Yeah. So having somebody like you, being on stage and seeing these experiences so that other indigenous people can relate to it, but also so that, you know, like other non-indigenous folks can kind of check themselves and Mm -hmm. be like, okay, yeah, like I didn't experience any of that. And having them being able to hear your story, I think makes it that much more powerful. Yeah. Do you feel like that your industry being the comedy industry has changed at all? Recently and like, and in, like today there is more of a push to get more than just cis white male comedians mm-hmm. on shows and i think that being um an indigenous comedian sometimes gives me a leg up on my competition because producers and bookers are like oh well there's a push to have diversity these days so we need to get someone in here to fill the spot mm-hmm. But at the same time, that's also it's a it's a double edged sword because then you're like, oh, in the back of your mind, you always know, like, I'm being booked because I'm a minority. Yeah. Um, and then I'm like, and am I also being something that I struggle with is, is am I also being booked because I'm what uh, I've heard this term before is I'm a palatable Indian. But then I think about my material. And when I talk about racism and I talk about those kind of things. I don't hold back, in mm-hmm. what I, and I have heard uh, it has been fellow white comedians being like, "No, you know, you need to take it easy on white people, man. You're just going up there and <laughs> shitting on white people all the time." And it's like, no, I'm not. Though I'm not. It might feel like it, mm-hmm. but it's just I'm talking about my own experiences yeah. with racism. Yeah. Um, and if you're offended by that, then you need to look inside yourself and ask yourself why you think it's so wrong for me to speak out in a humorous way yeah. about my experiences with racism and about um, society's perceptions, preconceived notions about indigenous people and about how they're wrong, you know? And, and like, I don't want to like sound uh, self-indulged, but like even like looking at myself, like, and you think like the indigenous experience is so broad. There's yeah. not just like we're not just that stereotype that white people think like, oh, the North, those Northern Indians mm-hmm. are always in trouble. It's like, no, there are a ton of issues in our communities and there are a ton of indigenous folks who are living different experiences. There are adopted indigenous folks. There's people who have gone to residential schools. There are people who are living in poverty. There are people who have internalized racism that has pushed them to uh 
work hard and get out of their communities and maybe not for the right reasons, but to, no. you know, so um, there are a lot of things that are going on in our community. And uh, I think having someone like myself go up and, and sharing my experience and my personal story is good um, to fight those stereotypes, to be like, no, there's more than one issue facing yeah. indigenous people. What, how would you, how would you say that reconciliation has um, happened or not happened in comedy? I would say one way that it has happened, and I have, I've already said this, is, is just that representation factor and like now having more opportunities for indigenous comedians and performers to get seen on shows they wouldn't normally be seen on. I think there's a lot of work still to be done and in the industry and in the entertainment business in general where it's like let's start booking more not just indigenous people but more people of color more minorities more women more people from the lgbtq community let's you know let's look at that let's stop getting uh straight white women or straight white men to play queer characters let's find actual queer actors to play those roles so i think that's that's where reconciliation needs to come into play there it's like give us the opportunities that we deserve what advice would you give to youth who like to young indigenous youth who see you and see what you're doing and they're like damn, I want to do that. Mm -hmm. What advice would you give to them? Practice. Get out. Get seen. Um, Keep working. Keep writing. Go out to as many shows as you can. Even if you're not performing or you're not getting on an open mic, go watch. Uh, Go watch other comedians. Write, 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 write about your own experiences. The one thing I would like to say is like if you're an indigenous comedian and you're coming up or you want to you want to become an indigenous comedian, you don't have to write jokes about being indigenous. Mm-hmm. Um because that's also a thing that I've struggled with is like once I was like, "Oh, I'm indigenous. I can I can draw on this experience." Yeah. And then it was like was like, "Okay, well, but this is all I've been talking about for 3 years on stage." And mm-hmm. it got to the point where people are like, "Oh, you're the comedian who always says I'm native." And I'm like, "Oh, okay. <laughs> oh maybe I need to write some new material." Uh, not that I'm ashamed of that material, mm-hmm. but just like write about anything that interests you and that you think you can make humorous, yeah. you know? And I think a big part of reconciliation is humor. Right. And a big part of healing is humor when we can laugh at those things and we can laugh at how ridiculous racism actually is. Mm -hmm. Then we're healing and we're taking the power from racist people. We're taking the power from colonial Canada and we're giving it to ourselves. Um, So I think um, it's going to be a long process, but I think having more and more indigenous comedians pop up and and who are making fun of those things and then talking about their own experiences it's a great sign i feel like there's buzz about you uh recording an album sometime soon what's this about yeah so i figure you know i've been working at this for 10 years now and i've it's been something that i've thought about for a while on March 22nd at <laughs> Wee Johnny's in the Exchange District in Winnipeg. 
I will be recording my first ever comedy album. You know, follow me on Facebook. Follow Comedy at We Johnny's on Facebook. Follow the Winnipeg comedy scene. I will be promoting in all of those spaces. And uh, follow me on Instagram, Chad at, or no, at Chad Illmatic. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and come out and support because I'm, I'm really excited to record this album. Yeah, support that. That's March 22nd at We Johnny's. Uh, the shows usually start at 9 p.m. Yes. So if you don't support Chad, you're racist. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. I'm glad, uh, I'm glad this worked out. Yeah, me too. Welcome back to Mino Gundeg and the Good Voice Podcast, a show exploring reconciliation from an Indigenous perspective. We just spoke with Chad Anderson, Cree comedian. Be sure to check out his comedy album taping on March 22nd at Wee Johnny's in Winnipeg. Miigwech to all our guests on this episode, the fifth in our series. Thank you for sharing your stories and your thoughts on a subject that should be on every Canadian voice, reconciliation. We hope that you've enjoyed our conversations today and will tune into future episodes as we engage in more thought-provoking conversations about reconciliation. We'll close off our episode with a track from Sebastian Gaskin. This is The Wrong Things. Check out more of his music at soundcloud.com slash Sebastian Gaskin. Finally we get it
Gundagan was produced on Treaty 1 territory, the original lands of the Anishinaabek, Nahayuk, Ojikri, Dakota, and Dene peoples, and the homeland of the Métis Nation. Our executive producer is Alyssa Blackwolf Kixit. Our associate producer is Sasha Mark, and I'm your host, Tim Fontaine. Our theme music comes to us courtesy of Boogie the Beat. Check out more of his brilliant work at soundcloud.com slash boogie the beat. The interstitial music is courtesy of Bloom, you can hear more of their songs at bloom14.bandcamp.com. We would like to thank the Community Radio Fund of Canada, the University of Manitoba's Office of Indigenous Achievement, the National Centre for Truth and Reconciliation, the University of Manitoba Students Union, and UMFM 101.5 for their support in the production of this series. <laughs>